You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Daryl West, Senior Fellow in the Center for Technology Innovation at the Brookings Institution and author of a book about American democracy entitled Power Politics. Wikipedia has become the go-to source of information for many people. It appears near the top of search results and people rely upon it for information about a range of different topics. Yet little is known about how Wikipedia operates how it engages in content moderation, or how it handles disinformation and fake news. To discuss these important topics, we are pleased to be joined by two distinguished experts. Isabel Langrock is a PhD candidate at the Annenberg School of Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. She is writing a dissertation on open knowledge production and digital access. Kent Campbell is a strategist at Reputation X, a firm that researches Wikipedia references, talk pages, and historical editing patterns. Isabel and Kent, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tech podcast. Thank you, Daryl. I'm happy to be here. Kent, I'm going to start with you. How important is Wikipedia as a source of information in the digital world? Well, I think most people have used Wikipedia and are extremely familiar with it. it um, it's extremely popular. I believe it's one of the top five most visited websites in the world. And it shows up very often in, in top search results in, in Google, for example. Um, I think there's one informal study that uh, for single word searches on nouns, for example, Wikipedia is often the number one result. So other studies have shown that it shows up in search results 46% of the time. I'm not sure how accurate those are, but uh, I think if you, if you do searches, you can see that it, it shows up quite often. It also it drives the majority of summaries provided in the Google knowledge panel, which is that panel in the upper right-hand corner of your search results or in mobile, usually at the top. So if you see a snippet there, a summary, oftentimes you'll see a little blue link at the bottom that says Wikipedia. That's because that summary is being pulled from the lead or the first uh, few sentences from a particular Wikipedia page. Um, I think it's interesting also, especially with the rise of chat uh, GPT-4, that uh, those large-scale AIs are often trained on lots of internet information. One of those, of course, is Wikipedia. Wikipedia is free, so a lot of people use it. And uh, the sources that are cited on Wikipedia are also presumed to be really high quality. I mean, the fact that Google is utilizing its snippets, for example, uh, kind of imbues a level of trust in, in Wikipedia. Yeah, that has definitely been my experience as well. Often when I'm doing searches, Wikipedia results often are number two, number three, or number four on the list, certainly in regards to uh, people. So I do think uh, it has become one of the uh, top sources for uh, people. Isabel, you are undertaking research on open knowledge production, and that includes Wikipedia, although I think you also are looking at other sources of open knowledge as well. How does Wikipedia fit into what you call open knowledge production? Yeah, so Wikipedia is kind of my broad representative of something that pretty much everyone uh, experiences in the world of open knowledge. And to kind of define this term, um, 
a bit for people who might be unfamiliar with it. Uh, it's a set of kind of projects or practices around knowledge production uh, that embody this value of openness or this democratic norm that kind of anyone can uh, contribute and add uh, the information that they think should be available to people, uh, whether that's through internet search, um, as Kent just brought up about Wikipedia often appearing, um, but also through things like open source software uh, is kind of my other prime example of open knowledge production. And as I said, Wikipedia is this common, common uh, resources, resource and experience that people have. It's probably the biggest open knowledge project that we have like day-to-day -day interactions with. So for me, it's really important to understand how this site works because of its prominence in the information uh, landscape. And then you'll also know that Wikipedia is kind of a model or a representative of what we want information to look like on the internet, whether that's through kind of these little uh, other uh, Wikipedia forms, uh, like fan fandom wikis, or even uh, like internet wikis in orgs, people might be familiar with that, or um, how the government might organize information. A lot of these things are taking their cues from Wikipedia and the style of organization it has. Uh, so understanding Wikipedia can also kind of cast light into this much wider world of uh, information organizing. So Kent, uh, both Isabel and you have talked about Wikipedia being a trusted source of information for many people, but yet we all know that we live in an era of contested facts. There often is little disagreement on basic facts and basic information. And so I'm just curious, how does Wikipedia operate? How does it handle content moderation? I know there are editors, like who are these people and what kinds of responsibilities do they have? Well, sure. I think when you first, you know, when you first go to Wikipedia, you are a non-logged in user. And that means that if you make any edits to existing pages, your IP address is going to be shown in the history of the page. So somebody can get a pretty good idea uh, geographically of at least where you are uh, and you can be tracked. Now, once you you can move from non-logged in up to a registered user by simply uh, giving them your email address and now you're logged in. Um, after you've been there about four days or made at least, I think, 10 edits, um, then you become an auto-confirmed editor. And nobody needs to give you permission for that. It's just you need to just make 10 edits and be there for four days. And now you can actually create pages. There are more than 2 million auto-confirmed users, uh, at least on the English Wikipedia that I know of. Um, most of them are, are not active, but, you know, over time. Um, now, the next big jump, actually, actually after auto-confirmed is extended confirmed. And that's for people who've made 500 edits and have been there for more than 30 days. And they have a lot more power. Um, there aren't really that many. They're, they're, you know, compared to millions, there are about 50,000, I think, that are extended confirmed. And these are people who have additional permissions. A lot of pages have different uh, levels of uh, permissions. So... You can't just edit every page. If you wanted to go and edit Donald Trump's page, for example, and you were just not logged in, you can't do that. In fact, in order to uh, edit that page, I believe you would need to be an extended, confirmed, or more trusted user with about 500 edits. Um, then there's some, some more powerful things as we kind of move up the food chain here. There are new page patrollers, and these are people who, uh, when there are new pages created, they um, give permission for them to go live. 
Uh, and that's very, very powerful. They're also admins. And you hear about admins all the time, but in reality, there are only about 900, maybe a thousand admins. Uh, and they're very, very powerful. They can block and they can delete. They can edit fully protected pages. Um, but really, they do a lot of maintenance. In fact, the, the logo for the admins, uh, it's, they're like janitors. The, the logo is a, is a mop. And so basically, they're like a janitor. They carry the keys to many doors. Um, and above admins, there are bureaucrats. Uh, and these are the most powerful type of admin. There's, oh, I think, only a, a couple dozen of them. And they're like, like the police chief. They're kind of the boss. They manage the admins, the bureaucrats. Um, and then above the bureaucrats, uh, there are various committees. One of them that's very powerful is the, the ARBCOM, the Arbitration Committee. And that's sort of the Supreme Court. Uh, and these are elected volunteers. Um, and they resolve really bad disputes. Uh, they manage uh, problems between editors, for example. They can add and, and remove permissions uh, in kind of a, a godlike way. Um, and they, they meet regularly to, to kind of talk about the really large issues that are going on. Um, you know, at the end, it's, you know, Wikipedia is, is kind of, uh, an, is a bit of anarchy, but it's an ordered anarchy. And being an ordered anarchy is probably the best we can hope for, given the chaotic world in which we live. It's really fascinating to uh, hear that there are different levels. People have different uh, kinds of responsibilities. And, of course, it raises broader questions about whether we can trust uh, those uh, individuals. But, Isabel, I want to bring you in on this as well. What is your sense of how Wikipedia handles content moderation and how good of a job does it do? My sense is that Wikipedia's content moderation varies drastically depending on what article you're looking at. So uh, while there is these levels of bureaucracy of uh, Wikipedia editors, if you're kind of reading or a casual Wikipedia user, depending on what page you're navigating to, the levels of content moderation that might have produced that page are um, can be incredibly different, even though they both both of uh, these given pages might subscribe to the same set of norms of having, you know, reliable citations, well-ordered uh, information, and kind of this neutral point of view, uh, which is this Wikipedia speak for kind of keeping opinions out of it or sticking to the facts. Uh, but uh, for some pages, you'll see uh, on the talk page, which is kind of a page hidden, but below the, the regular Wikipedia article where editors can discuss, you know, how do, how do we improve this page or what information should we include, you'll see very rich discussions about uh, what is the role of the encyclopedia in presenting this information to people, uh, what types of information are kind of just, uh, are the most relevant, like will matter and and stand the test of time or just kind of like a passing fad. Um, and some of the best pages for this to see this kind of play out are, you know, politically relevant pages. Um, so the Black Lives Matter page is often having some discussions, um, other kind of uh, political uh, pages or uh, topics related to the news are often having such discussions. But you'll also see if you go to other articles um, that they might be like pretty out of date. And recently, uh, I'll bring in a kind of concrete example. There was an author named Emily St. John Mandel who was kind of mad at Wikipedia because it didn't reflect her actual biography. She had gotten divorced a couple months ago and Wikipedia couldn't reflect that because one of the rules is that you need to have 
a citation to a kind of news outlet or, or a reliable information source. And so she had to get a kind of a friendly slate writer to write an interview up with her talking about her divorce in order to get her Wikipedia page changed. Um, so this is kind of an example where that content moderation or the policies uh, can actually work against keeping the most up-to-date information. This is obviously just one case of one biography, but as you spend more and more time on Wikipedia, you'll start to see um, areas where uh, the content moderation is either kind of lagging behind or is maybe because that page isn't viewed very often, um, is just kind of slipping by without being fully updated. Now, that is a great example of how uh, things can operate and also sometimes how things uh, don't uh, operate uh, so well. So, Kent, let's uh, get a little more concrete. So if someone has a Wikipedia page and another individual has posted something that is clearly false information on that page, what options uh, does the person have? And then secondly, what if the information is half true but half false? What are the options there? Okay, great question. Um, there are, are different levels of this type of inaccurate or uh, misinformation. Uh, for example, there's um, in many articles, there's a lack of neutrality. You're supposed to be neutral, but of course, we're talking about human beings and we're talking about bias here, which is built into all of us. Uh, there's undue weight given to certain aspects of an article. Um, there's non-parity between a statement that's made on Wikipedia and its source reference, for example. That's something where somebody kind of puts a little spin on the ball as they're quoting something from a, a source, especially if it's an out of, uh, like an ISB number for a book that may be out of print. Sometimes it's tough to actually find that source. And when you do, you find out that it's not actually accurate. Um, there's vandalism. There's malicious editing, you know, uh, vandalism. There's propaganda, state actors working to change the narrative using uh, sock farms. Uh, which are sock puppet farms. Um, whitewashing, of course, in the corporate world is a big one. They have something bad happened and they want it to seem to kind of go away because, you know, oftentimes we see that uh, Wikipedia for a large brand will be the second search results af after their, their main website. And of course, uh, another level is just human bias. You know, there are just uh, all of the different kinds of, of bias that, you know, negativity bias and cultural bias and gender bias and, and all of that uh, all come into play. So, what do you do? Well, you can try to fix it yourself. You know, if you see something that's wrong, you can just go in there and, and, and fix it yourself. You're not creating a new page. If it exists, uh, even a non-logged in user can do that. You need to be kind of familiar with the rules of Wikipedia are. Just because you don't agree with something, you really did it. Like, like we mentioned earlier, you need to have a good source for it. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can go to the talk page, which is uh, just the tab in the upper right. Uh, next to the history tab, go to the talk page. And that's where, uh, you know, the discussion happens. And you can point out on the talk page, it won't go live on the article, but you can point out on the talk page for people interested that, hey, you know, this is inaccurate, and uh, preferably cite some sources that that prove it some some good, reliable source, maybe someone else will fix it. Um, you can also, if it's really a big problem, you can email Wikipedia with a description of the issue and page you think has misinformation. Um, you know, sometimes if, if you try to fix it yourself, um, you know, Wikipedia can be kind of a knife fight sometimes. Um, it's not always a really nice place. You can get a lot of pushback uh, when you're on the talk page. And, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit of armor to be able to deal with it some of the time. So, you know, the, the best advice is to try to be non-confrontational um, because hopefully other users will come to your rescue if you're in the right. 
But, uh, you know, if it gets really ugly, for example, you're dealing with uh, sock puppets or meat puppets, which are sock puppets or uh, multiple uh, accounts that are owned by uh, a single entity, which is uh, you're not supposed to do. Uh, a meat puppet is somebody who is a, is a person, but they are logged in and they agree with you and you know them and you get them to perhaps have a conversation on the talk page where both of you agree that, yes, this is how that change should be. That's a meat puppet. Um, if it gets gets bad, you can go to various boards on Wikipedia, like the Conflict of Interest Board, for example, and complain about spammers and the like. Uh, or some other popular notice board may result in action. Um, and especially with this, these things work with more popular pages. But if you have less popular pages that don't have a lot of people watching, um, you know, you can usually just make the edit yourself. Uh, and it, it shouldn't be a problem so long as you follow the guidelines and have great sources. So, Ken, if I could ask one quick uh, follow up on that. So you mentioned the problem of propaganda, bad actors. Of course, we all know the world is much more complicated. Geopolitics is more complicated. There are nations trying to interfere in the domestic affairs of other uh, countries. How does Wikipedia handle things like that? You mean like how you, like disinformation and misinformation by government entities, you mean? Yes. Okay. Um, in that case, it, it's really actually quite difficult. They're very sophisticated. Uh, most of the socks that you find or sock puppets that you, you can find who are out there doing it are independent editors who are being paid. Um, and the way they get caught is they make mistakes. Uh, they use uh, different, they don't use the right IP addresses. They don't change their browser and some other ways that, that um, Wikimedia can find out if, if somebody's using multiple accounts, for example, and uh, violating the terms of service. Um, but when it comes to state actors, they're smart. They're funded. They have uh, large uh, sock farms. I had mentioned earlier the different levels of editor, and they have some pretty high-level editors. You think about it. If you've got years to work on something, you might plant an editor in there who does nothing but seem to follow the rules. Also, that later on, they're at a high enough level that they can, for example, take one side in an argument that's really uh, about their, their compatriots are having it. It doesn't seem to be related uh, accounts, but they're having a discussion, they have an argument, and somebody might come in and kind of arbitrate that one way or the other. So um, it's difficult, really difficult to catch state actors. So, Isabel, I know that you are particularly interested in how Wikipedia deals with women and women's issues. What kind of track record does it, it and other open knowledge platforms have on topics related to women? Wikipedia has a horrible track record when it, uh, on topics related to women, both amongst uh, editing, like the participation in the editing process, and of the biographical records. And this is of interest kind of across these open knowledge projects, which uh, is this phenomenon that I've called the irony of openness, which is despite the kind of greatest accessibility to uh, participating in the knowledge process provided by these kind of open projects. Uh, women are represented at rates that are much lower than more proprietary uh, projects. So in Wikipedia, only about 15% of editors uh, are women. And this is an estimation because a lot of editors are anonymous. So this takes this into account. Um, and only about 20% of biographical records are about women. So of all of the millions of biographies on Wikipedia, um, particularly the English version of Wikipedia, only 20% of those 
are about women in particular. We And we see this kind of play out again and again in high-level cases, uh, most, or maybe not most recently, but very recently. Uh, Donna Strickland won the Nobel Prize for Physics. I believe she was the third woman to ever win the Nobel Prize in Physics. And she accomplished that honor before she was given a Wikipedia page. Uh, someone had tried to create one for her, I believe in 2013, um, and it was deleted because she was not notable enough. Um, and we see this again and again, both with high-level Nobel Prize winners who kind of unobjectively should be having a, uh, or objectively should have a Wikipedia page, but also for um, uh, artists and scientists who maybe aren't quite at that level, um, but uh, their male counterparts, by and large, do have Wikipedia pages. There's a lot of research into kind of academics um, because this allows us to kind of compare across rank um, and control for a lot of uh, different factors. And we see that men um, in many different departments are more likely to have a Wikipedia page than women. And you can think about how this uh, kind of manifests into other aspects of their careers, uh, a Wikipedia page being a pretty good sign that someone is a public intellectual. So what does it mean that men are more likely to have this than women? Uh, and it's not just academics, I want to be clear, but kind of across the entire uh, uh, spectrum. We only see one uh, biographical page for about a woman for every kind of five pages about a man. Uh, so that's in a nutshell, Wikipedia's track record, there is a lot of hope. I particularly study feminist interventions on Wikipedia who are working to uh, bridge this divide and add content. Um, and I think their work is so important because if you think of Wikipedia's overarching mission to be the sum of all knowledge, uh, that knowledge needs to represent you know, the sum of all people. Uh, and so these groups are really trying to to live up to that uh, that kind of impossible goal of Wikipedia. So it sounds like Wikipedia has a lot of problems in regard to uh, gender issues. So uh, Isabel, if I could just ask you a follow-up on race. Like if Wikipedia is doing such a poor job on gender, I can only imagine uh, the difficulties uh, one might find in regard to racial issues. Certainly. Uh, race is also another big area where we see a lot of these gaps. It's a little bit uh, kind of more difficult to study. Um, so I don't necessarily have the same statistics and it depends on, you know, how you break down your racial categories. So in the U.S. we often use the census, but that's not the same um, for kind of Europe, how they would define those categories. Uh, but we do see a lot of missing um, people of color um, uh, from both kind of like the historical records as well as, you know, uh, contemporary life are less likely to have a Wikipedia uh, page than, um, you know, white Americans and Europeans. So can't you uh, mention disinformation and how that has become a, a big problem in the digital world? Uh, we've seen lots of disinformation in regard to elections, climate change and pandemics. What happens if there are systematic efforts to spread inaccurate information? How does Wikipedia handle that? Well, they're trying to handle it now. They do a fairly good job on, uh, on 
on more mainstream subjects because a lot of people are, are really paying attention to it. I would say, you know, I, I wish that more people would uh, become editors on Wikipedia. And of course, you know, across the entire spectrum, uh, because the more people that are helping out, the better Wikipedia is going to be at weeding out misinformation. You know, I kind of wish Reagan hadn't, hadn't killed the fairness doctrine. When we're making suggestions for Wikipedia, we try to be, we try to at least be fair and try to add some balance to the argument. Um, but, you know, misinformation is, is sometimes hard to find. Um, for example, you can, you can, if you can get a source, uh, you know, something written and some well-known publication, you can plant information in two or three that makes it look like it's a good source and that it's true information by paying friendly journalists, for example, as Isabel was talking about before. Maybe they were paid, but, you know, in this case, if you've got the sources, um, you can actually make a statement and have a pretty good argument. Uh, that something that is not true is actually true because you've kind of seeded the uh, the information going back to the sources there, and so as far as you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that in the future that uh, that AI can help. Uh, one of the big problems is that you know Wikipedia is not really about truth; it's more about referenceability. Google, same thing. It's really you know you can ask a question: How tall is Abraham Lincoln? And that's a that's a fact. You know, that's an objective fact. But when you start getting into some of the squishy gray areas, especially in Wikipedia and the arguments and biases that are going on, it's it's really challenging. Um, you got to put a lot of effort in to uh, to make things better. So, Isabel, what is your sense of how Wikipedia has done in regard to disinformation? Sure. I'll add to uh, what Kent was saying by adding kind of another element of what I think is really important when we consider disinformation on Wikipedia, which is you know, the information that's missing or uh, omitted information. Uh, so what does it mean when someone doesn't have a Wikipedia page and how does that impact the information landscape? And we actually saw a really excellent example of this in the uh, last uh 2020 election, uh, where Teresa Greenfield was the Iowa Senate candidate, the Democratic candidate. Uh, she was pretty new to the political scene, so didn't have, you know, all of these referenced materials um, that would make a clear case for having a Wikipedia page. Um, and so they, people kept on deleting her page. So there was no way for someone to interested in looking up information about this candidate. Um, they wouldn't find uh, that information on Wikipedia, uh, but they would find information about her competitor on Wikipedia. And so it's not clear how this might impact exactly uh, anyone's uh, information search uh, process, but you can kind of imagine um, the different ramifications that this uh, inequitable kind of uh, information landscape might have on an election where people are searching for information, both biographical and political, about uh, the candidates in their election. She now has a Wikipedia page after she lost the race. Um, and then in my own work, this also comes out when we think about Wikipedia as a kind of relational index of knowledge. Uh, and what that means is just you can find those links uh, the blue links in any Wikipedia page that link you to another Wikipedia page. And then if you think of that as a giant web of links that structure how we think of uh, knowledge, so it's putting links between concepts, between people, between events, um, 
and these are incredibly important for, you know, how we connect and how we build connections, both if you're literally kind of going through the Wikipedia rabbit hole by clicking on links, but also when we kind of use Wikipedia knowledge um, to frame some other, whether it's AI or some other kind of software project. Um, uh, my own work has identified how uh, there's these asymmetric links and how women are kind of pushed to the periphery of this network. So they're not central features within the knowledge, um, this big uh, knowledge web uh, you might think of. So it's harder to find them if you're just kind of curiously browsing Wikipedia, um, as well as... Um, uh, they're kind of put into a reduced state for any kind of use of this Wikipedia data. So how does this might have then huge consequences um, for the wider information environment, especially as we're abstracted away from Wikipedia um, through kind of processes like we've mentioned kind of chat GBT or these AI um, models. So we have to be really careful um, that we're not kind of producing our own sorts of misinformation or disinformation because of the biases that are involved at this uh, level of adding information to Wikipedia. So Kent, I want to ask you about the foreign language parts of Wikipedia. So when I log on to Wikipedia, of course, I'm looking at the English version, but I can also see there are at least a couple dozen, if not more, uh, versions of Wikipedia in a bunch of different languages, Russian, Chinese, German, French, Spanish, and a bunch of other ones. How does Wikipedia police its content across these different foreign language sites? Like you can only imagine how the Russian part of uh, Wikipedia might be handling the Ukraine war as opposed to the English language version. Well, they treat it. It's it's really it's it's interesting. Um, of course, the English Wikipedia uh, articles are are by you know vastly outnumber uh, others. Um, you know, it's mostly white men in America who are doing the editing, as Isabel pointed out, and in Germany and to a lesser extent in in Asia. Now, each country, each language. Um, editors who are specialists in, in that area um, are ideally the, the editors on the page. So you've got location-specific editors. Uh, we've been asked to translate. But one of the problems with translating, for example, if you want to have a page in English and you want it translated and placed uh, in some other language, is that the, um, the sources also need to be in that language. It's actually very, very difficult to do that. You really need subject matter experts cultural experts, people who are you know, native language experts to do it. Uh, and it's interesting because you can see by the population, the number of language speakers, uh, you know, correlates to some extent with the number of Wikipedia pages in a given language. There are, I believe, over 300 languages uh, that, uh, that, that Wikipedia is in. It's quite a, quite a few. But some of these have have very few pages, especially when compared to the English Wikipedia. But the processes across are are the same. It's just that you have less, um, you have fewer resources to be able to fight misinformation. Um, and you have um, the sentiment. For example, you mentioned the, the Russian. Uh, you might have different sentiment in Russia over Ukraine than you do, for example, in Ukraine. And so the stories might be a bit different. Now, anybody can edit, but most of the people who are editing are, of course, native Russian speakers. So you kind of have, uh, you have a balance towards location and cultural differences kind of built in, if that makes sense. 
Isabel, I'm just curious in the course of doing your research, have you encountered any research on this foreign language uh, aspect and what kind of difficulties or challenges that could create for Wikipedia? Sure. The gender gap uh, actually kind of shifts a little bit depending on what language edition of Wikipedia you're looking at. Um, I believe um, there's a couple, I think it's the Spanish language one and maybe the Korean language Wikipedia have um, kind of better, not not gender equity at all, but like higher rates than the English version. Um, and kind of understanding why we might see these gaps um, is, uh, I think, an important area of study, but also thinking about, you know, translation as being a force of kind of bridging some of these gaps. Um, so who are, you know, the key uh, figures on uh, the Spanish language Wikipedia or um, kind of any other uh, language Wikipedia that aren't represented on the American or not the American, the English language Wikipedia, and then uh, maybe adding them if they're also of relevance to, you know, English speakers, which uh, the English version is by and large the biggest, so most most are relevant. Um, so that's kind of my been my approach into the uh, into the different uh, language versions, um, which has been really interesting. You can learn a lot about different kind of cultures and cultural. I think. Uh, understandings of what knowledge is by looking at the differences across uh, Wikipedia uh, version, language versions, which is so fascinating. Yeah, no, that would be a terrific research uh, project for someone to be able to look systematically about the different foreign language sites and how they handle exactly the same types of uh, topics. So Kent, do you have any suggestions for how Wikipedia or other open uh, knowledge platforms can do a better job? How can open knowledge platforms do a better job? Well, um, I think one of the tough things, you need to be pretty committed today to become a Wikipedia editor of, of any note, right? Um, it's almost like reading tax code, trying to figure out how to do things, what's the right way to do things. So I think better documentation uh, so that more people, uh, a more balanced uh, group of people uh, can be, can have it a, uh, seem to be a more inviting environment. Number one, number two, there's a, for example, there's a, I think a, a page on Wikipedia that talks about don't bite the newbies, don't bite the new users. And that is a problem because uh, a lot of, uh, existing, uh, editors who are, uh, very experienced are moving pretty fast. They're using bots. They're trying to save time and they can be a little, Oh, terse, I would say, um, when somebody, when a new person's making an edit, um, it, it really needs to be more inviting. We had a woman contact us once who was trying to become an editor and her account was, um, was blocked. She, after making very few edits, we don't know why she contacted the person who, who blocked and didn't get any response. And she just kind of threw up her hands. It's just too hard. She was just disheartened by it and just never edited again to my knowledge. And this is a couple of years ago. Okay. So I think it could be a friendlier place. I think would be one of the things that would be really, really important. Yeah. That's, I think that's the biggest thing is it could be a friendlier place. Um, number one. And Isabel, I'll put the same question to you. What are your recommendations for improving open knowledge production? 
I totally agree with Kent's idea about documentation and increasing friendliness. Also, you know, this is rooted in kind of a deep kind of respect for Wikipedia. I think it's an exemplary resource. I do think there's a little bit of a misalignment between the goals. It's like some of all knowledge and the practices and the way that it excludes uh, both certain bodies of knowledge and certain people's kind of uh, concerns about knowledge. Um, and so working on how to ensure great quality while also getting the broadest kind of uh, the broadest group of people making the information that's available is kind of of top concern to Wikipedia. Um, I also have done a lot of work with one of the movements I study, art and feminism, and I'll just give them a little shout out if anyone wants to get involved. They have so many tutorials and are really just a welcoming group, um, internationally based. Um, if you want to start editing uh, Wikipedia, um, I would check them out, art and feminism. So it sounds like a great recommendation. Uh, so it sounds like uh, documentation and diversity would be big improvements in uh, Wikipedia and other uh, such uh, platforms. So I want to thank Isabel and Kent for sharing their thoughts with us today. At Brookings, we write regularly about digital technology. You can find more information at our Brookings Tech Tank blog located at brookings.edu. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.